Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 288 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Ify Ibekwe about how she approached maternity leave her way with a small law firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by Law.Bot, Back Office Betty's, Case Text, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Stephanie, today I want to talk about something that's all too real for everyone who's had to go and stay remote, and that's this idea of Zoom fatigue. Do you have suggestions for how we can combat that and be mindful of how much we're all suddenly on video? Yeah, it's funny. Zoom fatigue is never something I ever thought about before, (laughs) but now it's all the talk. So I picked up this great tip last week that I wanted to share, and that is maybe that it's okay to go off video, right? So we all know the benefits of being on video because you can see people and you connect and and it's the best way to replace that in-person experience. But there could be times during your video call where you don't need to be on video. Maybe you're sharing your screen or you're, you know, doing something that doesn't require that interaction, it's okay to say to everyone, hey, let's turn video off now Mm. and give everybody a break. Yeah, I think it's good to be intentional about that, especially because if you're trying to organize your schedule, like I feel you and I try to do this all the time and the rest of the team at Lawyer is, we try to make certain days or mornings or afternoons be really meeting heavy so you can just have them kind of back to back and you know you're going to be on video and you know you need to be prepped for all of these meetings. But it can be kind of hard when you have a lot of them or you have longer meetings where you're expected to be on video. I don't know about you, but sometimes I start to feel like, oh, I can't move. And if I could just get up and move around a little bit, And it's probably just because you're conscious of the fact that you're on video. And so it's okay to set that tone of, yeah, let's turn your video off. If you're presenting on your screen and sharing a slide, you don't need to be on video for that particular moment. I think we can change up a little bit how we do some of these meetings too, right? Yeah. This other great idea I got from a friend, she started scheduling walk-in talks. And so she knew like if, and this was actually started kind of casually over like book club discussion, but I could see it working for your team too. If you know that you don't need to be on screen because you don't need to share screens or be looking at the same documents, maybe it's more of a brainstorm or strategy session about a case, right? Encourage people to call into the old school conference line and get their headphones on and go outside and walk and talk, right? Like it sounds so silly. It kind of conjured up in my mind, like Steve Jobs, how he used to take walks and do this great brainstorming. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. Because there is something about moving your body that gets your brain working in a different way. And so encourage your team to go for a walk together virtually through a conference call. And maybe you can record the call and then you could just use a transcription service. There's a bunch, um, Rev or Timmy or two that are pretty easy to use. 
and then you could transcribe the notes. So you don't even have to worry about someone like taking detailed notes. You just capture it on video and then have a transcript or capture it on recording rather. That's a great idea. And I think we're all trying to get outside as much as we can, particularly in the Northern states like Minnesota, where we know we have long, painful winters ahead of us and we've got to soak up every ray of sunshine that we can. But just getting that physical activity, I don't know about you, but for me, that's been a key aspect of like surviving this pandemic. Even just getting outside for 10, 15 minutes a day to walk the dog kind of like helps you reset and makes you feel less like cabin fever. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Mitchell Herman from Law.Bot and then Stephanie's conversation with Ify. Hi, this is Mitchell Herman with Law.Bot. We've created an artificial intelligence chatbot to help lawyers get more leads from their website. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what does a chatbot do and how beneficial is it really to a solo or small firm lawyer today? Absolutely. Well, a chatbot essentially is a computer program that mimics the reactions and answers that an actual live person would give. We built our chatbot on the IBM Watson platform. And so you're going to get with our chatbot the latest in artificial intelligence capabilities. And what that really means is there are a lot of different ways to ask the same question. Somebody might want to know, what are your fees? They may ask, how much do you charge? How much is this going to cost me? And the intelligence of the chatbot is such that it will understand what the question means and then be able to give them the correct answer. Do you think there's a major benefit to having it mimic what a real human would say in response? Is that something that you find that customers are more interested in? They're more likely to respond or use it because of that? Oh, absolutely. The key is, of course, to be able to answer the question that the person has. I don't think it's as much important whether it's a live person or a chatbot in so much as What's most important is that the person get the information that they're seeking. Perfect. So it seems like there is a distinction here between live chat and a chat bot. Can you talk a little bit about that and how to make the decision of which one is most appropriate for you? Excellent. Well, of course, when somebody visits a lawyer's website, they're there in the vast majority of cases to get more information. And so Modern lawyers have live chat on their website so that there's somebody there to answer the question. The benefit of that is, of course, that there's somebody there to answer the question. But it's not going to be as effective as actually having a chatbot because a chatbot is going to be a lot faster than a live chat person. It's going to be able to give more detailed answers than a live chat person can give. My best example about that is if somebody asks the live chat operator, do I have a case? Well, in every case, the live chat operator is gonna say, we need to talk to the lawyer about whether you have a case or not. Whereas with a chatbot, you can give much more detailed answers, such as the chatbot can say, well, there are several factors involved in whether you have an actual personal injury claim, then it might go on to say the first step is to establish where there's negligence, and you can talk a little bit about that. And then you can go on to say, can we prove that the negligence caused personal injury? And then describe a little bit more about that. And then at the end, you can say, you know, or their damages. Can you get compensation for your injury? And these are the kind of answers that a live chat operator simply can't give. And the chatbot is going to be much more capable of going in depth and being able to answer your visitors' questions. 
And it sounds like a lot of the most common questions that someone landing on a law firm website would have could be easily programmed into the chat bot because they're probably pretty similar. There's probably only a handful of exceptions where someone has a really specific question. And even if there was a live chat human there, it still wouldn't be able to really be directed anywhere. So is that correct? Exactly. Pretty much every lawyer has a frequently asked questions page. And that frequently asked questions page is going to have the standard questions about the cases, the prices and things like that. And again, a chatbot can go into much more detail than a live chat operator can because, of course, a chatbot has an unlimited menu of choices that it can give in response to the questions. So, yeah, it's going to be much more effective than the live chat because it can, again, give much more detailed answers and it's going to be much faster and never requires a day off. It doesn't ask for a raise ever. It's just a better employee. So you've been in the industry for a while. I'm curious, are there mistakes that you've seen people using with chatbots in other words, is there a wrong way to set up your chatbot or anything like that? Well, one of the decisions is how are you going to have your chatbot hosted? When we first started out, we built our chatbot on the Facebook platform. And then, of course, after starting talking to clients, a lot of them were just uncomfortable with the security of not having the chatbot hosted on your own website. We feel that having a chatbot on your own website is the way to go these days. Perfect. Law.bot is currently offering 50% off for the first three months of your service. Check out law.bot slash lawyerist to get started today. Hi, my name is Ifoma Ibekwe. I go by Ify, and I'm an estate planning attorney in Austin, Texas. And I am also a plant lady, a mom of four, and married. Well, welcome, Ify. I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, in full disclosure, you're in our lab community, which is how I got to know you. And so, yeah, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I love all those things. Plant lady, we're, we're going to hit all of them. But I would love to start with mom of four, because mm. number four is a recent addition. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you so much. I have a three-month-old, a rising four-month-old. She'll be four months on uh, July 8th. Awesome. And you have been running your business on maternity leave. And I think that that's something a lot of listeners would be like, wait, what? How was she doing that? And that your practice didn't miss a beat really. So would love to kind of explore that a little bit with you. And and how did you do that? How did you set out in the beginning when you realized, okay, I'm pregnant with number four and I have this business. What am I going to do? So I found out I was pregnant with number four and I thought, how did this happen to me? I was supposed to be birthing a business, not a fourth child. And I have to say that because my other kids are six, four and two. And so we are truly in the thick of it, in the thick of a pandemic, in the thick of stay at home orders with COVID spiking in Austin. And so when I found out, I didn't think anything of it with respect to my business. I was pregnant and working. But as I reached my due date in March, I remember absolutely panicking, freaking out, thinking that I would need to shut down my business because that's what another attorney told me she did. She's like, oh, I just shut it down for maternity leave. And I thought, you know, I've been working on this practice for over two years and I really have gotten momentum. And the last thing I want to do is just end it because I'm having a baby. And so one of the first things I did in February, I joined the lab and became a labster. And the first thing we worked on was hiring a replacement attorney, basically an attorney who could be me 
during maternity leave and really just working on how to hire, how much to pay, what she would do. And I have to tell you, my business not only kept going, but I have had the highest revenue during maternity leave, doing the least to the point that I will never go back to doing all that I was doing before by myself ever again. Yeah, I love that. To be fair, you're not a true solo in the fact that you have some support team, right? I do. Everyone who works for me works part-time, so I don't want to oversell this. And I do mean truly part-time. I have a paralegal as well as an administrative assistant who also support me. How did you figure out like what you could delegate, what you could get off your plate while you were on maternity leave? Because I don't think you gave away everything, did you? No, I didn't. The things that I really enjoy and the things that I really do well at are sales and marketing. And I always think, why am I a lawyer? I should totally be in sales and like killing it with the numbers. And that's the part that I held on to because when you are a solo, even though I have people who support me, and I promote myself using my face shamelessly and posing in various locations in Austin shamelessly. People sometimes have that expectation that they'll speak to you. And I actually enjoy that part of the job the most in talking to clients, telling them how we can help solve their problems. So what I held on to was the sales part and getting people to pay and doing that sort of thing, which I'm actually taking off my list of things to do, like writing engagement letters and all of that anymore. But I still enjoy getting on the phone for client calls. And I just limited that to one day a week. And as I got more comfortable having a baby, I expanded that to two days a week. And it has been constant, nonstop bookings, consultations, and all of that while I've been on maternity leave. Yeah. Did you set up any kind of communication system with your team? So you were available to them basically one day a week, but how did that structure work for you? So what we did is we set up a call for a staff meeting once a week. It was actually every other week, but as things just started to swamp us and I had more capacity, we made it weekly and we'll definitely be keeping that. But it was just a touch base. Basically, every meeting would go, anything happening? Any good news? Where are we with the clients? Any questions on the clients while we have everybody together? And we would just go through our client list and make sure that no one was falling through the cracks. And that was just a great way of making sure that we are hitting everyone and making sure that they're not being ignored or just not nudged to continue the process and things like that. And then in the interim, in between the calls, we would just have emails sent out with the expectation that within about two business days, they would get an answer. But if it was something truly urgent, then text me because I was probably just lying in bed, scrolling on Instagram or doing other things in the middle of the night and could get to that information. And so that's how we kept in contact. I truly did not go to the office. I did not go to any signings. We ended up doing curbside signings and the attorney who I hired for maternity leave came up with the whole protocol, checked with the CDC, the state health services. They figured out how they wanted to put the cones out and they did trial and error and then adjusted afterwards. And I truly was just like, great, mm -hmm, keep going. Great job. Sounds good. And that's the nature of my email correspondence because I think that because I was so unable to actually physically be there and I wasn't readily available, it really helped 
that the people who had worked for me really stepped into their roles. And then my associate attorney also stepped up and answered questions and found answers. It's just more empowering. Everyone could do what they needed to do for their position and figure it out. Yeah. So what I'm really hearing is you had to be able to trust your team and let go. And how hard is that for so many of us to just be able, I mean, in a way you were forced to, but it worked because you allowed them to do it. Yes. And and I'm still working on that and I'm still letting things go. Every so often I'll be doing a silly task and think, why am I doing this? And I'll write it down and put it on the let it go list. Sometimes I do a, a task list that this is a $10 task. This is a $100 task. This is a $1,000 task. If I'm doing the $10 and $100 tasks, then I'm not focused on the $1,000 tasks. And I need to be in the habit of letting those little tasks go. And I know one day that will mean sales for me, but in um, the meantime, I'm just really making sure that I'm letting all of the little things go so that other people are equipped to do them. I love that framework, $10 tasks, $100 tasks. That is really meaningful because I think lawyers can, you can put value next to task and we don't do that enough, do we? Not at all. Not at all. And so I'm just curious now moving forward, I know that this has kind of changed you permanently. And yes. so what's it going to look like in terms of going forward and, and, and how you're organizing your firm or structuring the work? Well, one of the things that I uh, was really looking forward to when I signed up with the lab was the ability to do a soups to nuts review. I don't know if that's how they say it, soup to nuts. I don't even know what that means um, <laughs> of my entire firm. And part of that happened while I was on maternity leave. And I just started looking through all of the modules. And the first thing I worked on was my firm values, which allowed me to really sit down and say, this is what we're about. This is what we believe. This is what we do. And the great thing about that is with dreaming and goal setting and all the exercises that I did, I was able to write up a job descriptor for each role that I have in my in my practice. And so I did that. I did the people and staffing module because I'm actually having turnover. My paralegal and my administrative assistant, they're moving on, but I really wanted to make sure that I always have that support going forward. And so then I used that to create job descriptions to, and I've recently posted for a legal assistant slash administrative assistant, and then an actual paralegal who will be drafting the estate plans, maybe helping with probate down the road. I can never go back. But now that I know what we're about and how we hire and what the roles are, it's so easy to shoo in people rather than just be like, oh my gosh, I like that pop culture quip and you do too. We'd have so much fun together, but they have no skills in organization or they couldn't care less about drafting a document. They're just cool people that I want to be friends with. I'm past that now and I can never go back to that because now I have order and I know what that role means. Yeah. I I want to unpack that because you just said a bunch of good stuff in there, but we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So let's do that. Then let's come back and unpack that. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Betty's are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebetty's.com lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code PODCAST to receive $150 off your first month. 
Looking for a true alternative to LexisNexis or Westlaw? You could save thousands this year if you switched to Case Text. Over 6,000 law firms from solos to 40% of the AM Law 100 use Case Text to help them find better results in less time and for less money. For $65 per month, you'll get access to 50 state and federal case law, statutes, and more with zero out-of-plan fees. Try the Smarter Legal Research platform. Lawyerist podcast listeners can go to casetext.com slash lawyerist to try case text for free for two weeks. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander can be used in any platform or any app and anywhere you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. You can check out textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. And we're back. And for those wondering, soup to nuts obviously means from beginning to end. And it's because a full course dinner served in the 1800s started with soup and ended with nuts. That is fascinating. (laughs) Thank you, Google, for that. I should have Googled it instead of just throwing it out there and hoping that it was I was using it the right way. No, I'm going to tell my daughter tonight that her dessert is not ice cream, but it's nuts. Here you go. <laughs> That's exactly what she wants. All right. Before the break, you were starting to talk about after you sort of completed your, you did a bunch of things. You did a values exercise and then you started a new hiring process. And let's unpack that a little bit because I have to tell you, you sent me your job posting and I made you put it up in our private Facebook group as an example. And I had a lobster tell me this morning that after reading your job description, first of all, she wanted to come work for your firm. Awesome. We're hiring. (laughs) Right. And she was like, oh my God, she's in the words she used were that it was powerful, motivating and energizing. And when's the last time anyone who's listening has read a job posting and thought that it was powerful, motivating and energizing. So I'm so excited for you to share with our listeners, sort of walk us through that process and how we got to that. Right. So just my personality is that of like, you tell me what I need to do and I will execute. I don't always stop and think about the implications. And so one thing I really enjoyed about using the lab process and thinking about my values and my dreams and what I'm really trying to build with my practice is that I could apply it to whatever I do within the practice, including a job post. And so what I did, first of all, is I listed what we were hiring for. I put that, okay, we're looking for an administrative ninja because I think fun job titles make it seem like a fun environment, which is definitely what we're trying to cultivate, aka a legal assistant, aka an administrative ninja. And here's what they'll need to have. And I listed the attributes. You need to have a figure it outable attitude. I was just thinking about what my staff had been doing while I was on maternity leave and how I could quantify that. And then I listed what the qualifications would be and the job roles. But most importantly, I put my firm values. And one of them, for example, is the value we have for boldness. Mm-hmm. And just to tie it into what we are seeing right now with all the social unrest in our country due to racial injustice, I put, we say Black Lives Matter and mean it. We practice anti-racism here. And 
each one I would support it with a quote. The first quote was, I just quoted myself, which is pretty obnoxious, but I just felt like I, I just said it. So I don't know who said it, but it was me. So feel free, like if you want to use that, I will definitely take the credit for that. But then I had other things on there, you know, dealing with legacy and honesty and responsibility and passion and other values. But I would support it with a quote from someone who is a leader or a comedian, or I put a scripture on there from the Bible, just things that really just fit how I put together the firm. Because I want people, when they look at that, if they are put off by me saying that, you probably don't want to work here. Yes, bingo. I received everything from an undocumented DACA applicant who was gay, male, all the way to a woman who disclosed that she was a Christian, but she wasn't one of those types of Christians. And I told my husband, I'm like, man, whatever I wrote makes this seem like a very inclusive space, right? Because that's how I am. I'm really inclusive. Everyone is welcome. I don't have any (laughs) qualms about hiring based on who you are, because I want this to be a place where anyone can come and work here as long as you're not a bigot. I don't want you to be a bigot. And I don't think most people want to just work with outward racists or bigots or people who don't value other people's humanity. And I think it's okay to put that creatively on a job application. Yeah. And it speaks volumes to the fact that these people told you these things about themselves in their initial application to you. Like it wasn't even in interviews. They were just like, Hey, this is who I am. They said they felt so free to tell me that because of the way that the job posting was written, they felt like they could bring their full selves to the office. And a lot of people right now are thinking, oh, how can we be more diverse and inclusive? Well, you could say things to trigger that response in people so they know, hey, if you're going to be open, I'm going to be open because that really works. Yeah. So powerful. And I love I love that advice to everybody. If you're thinking about what to do, just say it. Here's who we are. And if you're this, then come work with us. And if you're not, that's cool. Lots of other places to work. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially in the law. Yeah. And so then did it change sort of your approach to interviewing and have you made adjustments there? Yes. And so one of the things I asked you, Stephanie, was to send me some sample interview questions. And these questions asked about things like integrity. And as you know, honesty is one of the big things in my values. Asked about daily tasks or just their organization and things like that. And that to me aligned with something like responsibility. So what I would do, I would go through all the categories of questions, whether it's client services or if it's teamwork or whatever it would be. And I would align the question, not only to the job role, but also to make sure that it was a value-based question. And so I could tell by how they answered. I'm like, wow, this person is really passionate about knitting tapestries for the walls, you know, which somebody told me. Um, But that displayed that, you know, outside of work, if there's anything else I need to know about you, they're a crafter and they like to do this and they talk about it or they talk about their pet. And I can tell that they have passion for something, right? It doesn't have to do with filing or lead generation or anything like that, but it shows me that you're a person with passion and we want people with passion who work here. Or if I ask the question, for example, it's a remote position and I would ask what their experience was with working remotely and what they liked about it and what they didn't like about it. Cause I wanted them to be honest there. That's another one of my values. How are they going to answer this? They're going to be like, Oh, it's so amazing. I love working. But what I found was people would say things like, 
I'm an introvert. I really enjoy having the ability to work in my own space. The things I don't like are that my kids are around. So sometimes they'll just, as kids do in my calls, pop in. And so that's something that I have had to manage or work around or like right now I'm recording, but I made my husband take the kids in the minivan and watch a DVD so that the house can be quiet. It's not like we have anywhere to go necessarily, but sometimes you have to make those adjustments and that's a downside of working remotely. And I wanted people to really come and say things like that. I also had the the flip side where you might be a little bit too honest. And that kind of gives me insight to how you work when you say, "Ah, I can roll out of bed and just hop on the computer. And I'm like, oh, well, that's probably not going to be what I need if we're on a Zoom call or if you're interfacing with a client, you still have to present yourself. But that's another thing I'm working on is just giving people guidelines for how they should work because you have to tell them sometimes. Yeah, that's a great point. And because you've now started the whole process from your values, like right up front in the job posting, that is going to allow you to keep using those values throughout the entire process. So even once they're hired and you're giving them feedback or you're giving them, you know, everything is just centered around those core values over and over and over again. Everything. It's so easy to slice and dice and move people away when you're like, ah, this is like someone just applying for a job. They didn't really read it. Or a person says something like, oh my gosh, when I got my interview, you put a GIF or GIF, I'm sorry, I'm not that cool, but I like put a, a, a GIF on there where it was a dancing image. And when they were interviewing, they were like, I love that you did that. Cause I'm putting those little touches to see if you're picking up what I'm putting down. And so if someone says, oh my gosh, on my scheduler, you had a funny image on there and they refer to it. I know you have attention to detail. And I also know that you are playful and that you don't mind me being bold and putting something like this, even though I'm a law firm, right? Just little fun touches because there are no rules, honestly. As long as you're not breaking an ethics rule or professional rule of conduct, there really are no rules yeah. that stop you from being creative. So I think one struggle lawyers have is we tend to want to hire people who are just like us when when we're thinking about a well-rounded team, we might need people who actually aren't just like us and have mm-hmm. different skills from us. So I'm curious if you've figured out some ways to kind of look for that in your interviewing process and how you're trying to make sure you get the right person. Right. So one of the things I did was um, when I did the people and staffing module in the lab, it talks about the hierarchy of your firm. And I like to think of myself because, you know, it sounds good as well that I'm the visionary and I'm the president, right? But there are other roles that need to be filled, like someone who's in charge of client services or someone who does the finances or someone who is in charge of, um, you know, back office. I'm not sure. Right now, I'm most of those people, right? Because I I don't have the capacity to hire somebody to just do the one thing yet. And I'm working toward that. But in doing that, I realized, oh, if I am going to be the administrator, for example, the front desk person, here are the skills you need. You need to be organized. You need to like to organize. You need to maybe show me that you are into systems if you're using our client relationship management tool. Those are all things that I personally do not like to do. I am not immediately organized. I can do a lot of things, but I don't necessarily have a process. It's just that my brain might just pop something in it. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that. I'm not the ideal personality type for that role. 
because my strengths don't lie there. I'm more of a big picture person. I can make decisions without necessarily having every single solitary fact. But that might be a position if I have someone changing and figuring out nomenclature for all of our files or reordering something that is really into that. And, and, and it shocked me that there are people who really enjoy and get fulfillment out of work like that. Yeah. Because I just thought, oh, who wants to do tasks all day? And you're just organizing all day. That just seems so boring. But now that I know, you know what? Here are some of the skills that this position needs when I'm hiring. I can hear them say, yes, one of my favorite things to do every morning is to make sure that I have my paper planner out. And then I also check my digital planner on my phone. And I also keep a planner in my computer. And this is how I use each of them. Like, who does that? Well, there are people who do that. And to them, that's who they are. And they would be doing that whether or not they worked in a position that had those roles because they're naturally inclined to administration and organization. And so that's how I ended up hiring is like, by writing out what the role needed versus whether I thought they would be fun at brunch, you know, which can yes. kind of be how I operate if I'm just hiring. This is one of the things lawyers struggle with so much. And I always tell them like, there was no HR class in law school. And by the way, there actually is a kind of a proven way of how you can hire people and how you should be thinking about your teams. And so I love that you've You've taken these things, you've added in your values, and now you have this great process for really making sure, not that you're just getting a person who you like, but that who's aligned with your values and can do the job you need them to do. So right. kudos to you. I'm super excited. I know this is going to help our other listeners and also the maternity leave policy. I mean, our thing, you did it. You, yes. you succeeded. It is doable. When we met, you weren't sure. You're like, I remember our first call. You're like, do I have to close my business? I yeah, like, I was panicked. You can tell them. <laughs> I was freaking out. It was keeping me up at night and I'm not naturally an anxious person, but the thought of doing it and it being successful seems so foreign because there weren't any templates for women who do it. And as you know, we need to stay in the workforce. We need to be able to continue on our career. And that's a deal breaker for so many people is, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, what's she going to be able to do? But you right. can plan for that. And I'm a solo technically who did. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you for coming on with us today. It was so exciting to talk to you and hear all these great things you're putting into your practice. I'm just excited for what comes next. Thank you so much. So if you have any questions, I was just thinking, I was talking about maternity leave and, you know, I would love to talk to you and just tell you how I did it. And on Instagram, I'm at the Justin Case Lawyer. Or if you want to Google me, you can contact me through my website, which is ibequelaw.com. I-B-E-K-W-E-L-A-W.com. And we'll put all that in the show notes for listeners as well. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ify. Thank you, Stephanie. Have a good weekend. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.